about to record an episode about uh, chat GPT and AI in the classroom. My guests are Hazel Farrell, a lecturer in music, and Pete Windle, a computing lecturer. Could you write me a podcast introduction for that? Hello and welcome to The Machine, a computer science education podcast where we explore technology and related issues. I'm your host, Bertie Kelly, and today we have a very special episode for you. We're going to talk about ChatGPT and AI in the classroom. ChatGPT is a powerful natural language processing system that can generate realistic and engaging conversations with humans. AI in the classroom is the use of artificial intelligence to enhance teaching and learning outcomes. To discuss these topics, I'm joined by two guests from Waterford Institute of Technology, Hazel Farrell, a lecturer in music, and Pete Windle, a computing lecturer. Hazel and Pete have been experimenting with ChatGPT and AI in their courses, and they will share their insights and experiences with us. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Machine. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> mm, I'm guessing that was written by a certain uh, AI generative tool, was it? It was, yes. Uh, I've christened, rechristened my name uh, to be Bertie Kelly. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, I asked it to write an episode, uh, write an introduction to the uh, an episode of The Machine, and that's what it came up with. And it, it also doesn't realise that we're now SETU. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, no, it wasn't ChatGPT, it was Bing I asked okay. to use it, but uh, it obviously hasn't Classic caught up Bing. on that. Uh, so I haven't edited that at all. I said I'd just leave it as was. Uh, and I love the way you read it in... Uh an AI voice as well. That was great. Uh, it's a bit clunky. <laughs> but thank you, Pete. <laughs> uh, right, look, we're here to talk about... So it's uh, myself, Rob O'Connor, from uh, Computing and Mathematics at SETU, the Southeast Technological University. Uh, we've Pete Wendell, also from the Department of Computing and Mathematics. And we have Hazel Farrell from the uh, School of Humanities and is the programme leader in the BA Honours in Music. Uh, we're here to talk about ChatGPT, AI, those type of tools in the classroom. Uh, so first off, thank you very much for sitting in the room and uh, chatting with us. We're also experimenting with some new gear as well. So uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's an experiment in a lot of different ways. I don't want to get bogged down in what AI tools are and what ChatGPT is. I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you already know what it is. But what I'm interested in doing is exploring your use of ChatGPT as a teaching and learning tool. You both presented on this the other day to uh, an absolutely packed uh, room full of staff from SETU and a number online as well who couldn't fit in the room. Uh, so Hazel, we might start with yourself. You're coming at it from from a, a music standpoint, from a humanities uh, space. How have you used these tools in the classroom? Okay, so I suppose what I do is, um, over the last few years, my research has very much been about um, student engagement and how to get students more actively involved in their learning. Uh, so for me, this was a logical step to take the AI into the classroom and uh, learn with them. 
So the way I approached it was uh, as a sort of a collaborative learning opportunity where we were all learning together. And I just felt that that would take would it would create a deeper learning experience and make it more relevant to them. Um, I think um, we're not going to be able to ignore it. And as educators, it's our responsibility to evolve when, you know, these new tools or this new technology comes along. Um, and um, my um, thinking was, yeah, I'm going to meet this one head on. I'm not going to ignore it. And um, I'm just going to have a very open conversation. So with our first class, I just introduced it and I said, who's heard of this? And mixed, you know, responses from different groups. And then we started to um, integrate it into what we were doing. Um, very simple example would be uh, we were doing an, an analysis project and we were working on the minimalist style of composition. So uh, we had brainstormed and we had created our own um, map of, you know, minimalist characteristics in music. And then we asked uh, ChatGPT to do the same thing. And we put that up on the board. And then we went through each of the points and discussed to see, oh, yeah, yeah, that is actually relevant. And no, that one is not too much. And, you know, we found some flaws and we found some really good things there as well. Mm. And we used that as a starting point for our conversation. What I suppose what strikes me most about this first is that you have jumped positively into this. Uh, a lot of people experience existential angst about tools like ChatGPT. Um, did you feel that at all with it? Did you feel any kind of senses? We're all doomed or did you? No. No, I actually didn't. And I was, okay. you know, I was following a lot of the dialogue online and on mm. Twitter and things like that. And uh, that knee jerk thing about we're all going back to, you know, classroom exams and I'm going to stand over you while you write your answers. I just felt this is the very, very wrong thing to do because I had been pretty um, deeply involved in developing new approaches to assessment and feedback. And, and even when we were online during COVID, it was just fantastic, the creative and innovative, innovative approaches that we had adopted. And I really sort of felt sad that, oh gosh, you know, are we going to lose this now just for the sake of trying to catch people out, you know, for something they may not necessarily have any intention of doing at all. Yeah. And Pete, yourself, what has your experience been with ChatGPT as a kind of a teaching and learning tool? How have you used it thus far? One of the earliest introductions we've had to ChatGPT was a final year project student last year using uh, an early model of GPT-3 to write their project. And the project was really interesting. They were they had a PhD in, in English and literature and they wanted to write a tool that generated stories uh, with prompts and generated images from Dali to uh, read to their children when they were going to bed at night. So just the content, is this on the HDIP in computer yes. science? Well, it, it's a, the ICT, sorry, the HDIP is an ICT skills conversion course. Oh, right. Okay, so yeah, yeah. we're taking people with uh, other qualifications and bringing them into uh, the ICT and uh, computing um, for a, so. Yeah. Uh, this guy's background was really interesting and his idea was really interesting. So he used the ChatGPT API to uh, send in prompts for their children's name, what sort of character, what the hero in the story was going to be, who the villain in the story was going to be. So it was a dragon for the villain. It was Harry for the child's name. It was uh, their teddy bear for the hero. And um, so Harry the teddy bear. And that was the, the prompt. And it went off and wrote a story for him and then generated an image for that story on Dali. Mm. Uh, Dali won, I think it was at the time, 
So it was really interesting to see that, you know, a year ago at this stage uh, being handed up and see how far the model has come and see how far, well, how, how much has exploded since it was released kind of more widely and publicly in November. Mm. Uh, in November then, when it was released, we started a conversation with our students who were starting their, their projects this year. They were uh, in their Internet of Things module back in November and they were having to write a proposal for an Internet of Things project. Uh, so naturally, when we started a discussion about how it was going to impact them, they started feeding in uh, ideas or at requesting ideas for an Internet of Things project. Uh, and then it generated the entire pro proposal firm. So uh, it was really interesting to see the use of it in November uh, and, and getting ahead of the curve. So I, I think it's really important. I mean, there's a quote I saw the other day that we're in the final days of knowing whether something has been generated by a human or a machine by looking at it. Mm. And when you kind of digest that a little bit, it's quite scary, especially when you see the quality of the images that are coming out from mid-journey or Bing images. Uh, I saw some delicious images of burgers and steak coming from uh, both of those image generation engines. Mm. So you know, photographers might fear a bit after doing commercial photography for eateries. So, you know, we're in the final days of knowing what's been human generated in terms of content. Uh, and imagery and possibly music seeing the experiments from David Guetta uh, in synthesizing um, an Eminem style uh, song and, and generating music around that we're in, in those final days of knowing the difference mm. so, well I would argue we're not but that's a well, bit of his work it's getting to a point now where the AI is to a point becoming indistinguishable for many things I think to a trained eye You'll spot those repeats, you'll spot the, the little bits, but I think it's a really interesting space at the minute to see where it's going to go. Um, there's obviously ethical questions in there, there's academic integrity questions, which we've discussed mm -hmm. uh, here in the, the university and also among ourselves many times uh, around that. So it, it's, it's a really interesting space, but I think it's got huge benefits in teaching and learning. It's got huge benefits in terms of efficiencies for uh, teachers and, and uh, educators and it's something that's going to be used in industry going forward so we need to prepare our students for that because I think it would be remiss of us to send our students out into industry mm. without the necessary skills in, in these tools. Now, what I think is quite interesting about the way both of you have described it is so Pete you have a tech background Hazel you don't have a tech background but you've both kind of jumped headlong into it and actually funnily enough the person with the tech background is maybe more uh, hesitant or, or negative or has existential angst about it, perhaps? Uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's growing massively. It's it's something that I think a lot of students are using. I've heard of uh, parents telling me that when their students are doing their, uh, when their, their children are doing their coursework, they've got ChatGPT open permanently on one screen mm. and they're doing their coursework on another screen. Mm. Usually that used to be uh, a Google. social media platform or mm. Google. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just mindful that we're going down a kind of a rabbit hole because I want to yeah. pull back to the classroom and, and to maybe how some of these things can be used in a positive sense rather than getting worried about all the, the, the end is nigh and doomsayers. So Hazel, can you just maybe describe the profile of your students and then how they engaged with you 
in this kind of an exercise? And, uh, you know, and please be as specific as you can um, about the actual use case, if, yeah. if you could. Um, well, look, we have very mixed profile. You know, we have um, some fantastic mature students that really bring uh, another dynamic, I suppose, to our classroom. And then we have people who are straight out of school. We've, we've got a mix of, you know, people in there. And But I have to say, everybody... Um, engaged with it very positively um, and so some of the simple things we were doing um, we used it to uh, initiate a project on a sustainability festival we're working on for instance so I just threw it out there about you know what sustainability means to music or how do we apply the global sustainability development goals to music because I mean that's part of our strategy is that these are going to be incorporated into higher education into all of our classrooms and you know nobody really had much of an idea I remember somebody saying something to do with climate, you know, so like the that just wasn't there. So we used chat GPT and we asked it, how do, do the sustainable development goals apply to music? And it gave us a whole range of ideas. And mm. then each of those first year students could cling on to something or they found something that resonated with them. So it stimulated their research projects for them, whether it was to do with the production of music in a sustainable way or whether it was to do to, with gender equality quality mm. or, you know, poverty of education or whatever it was. So they were able to find really, you know, niche areas that would work for them. And uh, another example would be with um, more advanced students, my research students in fourth year um, who are working on their dissertations. Um, so what we did there was we put in their chapter titles and just asked for alternatives. And when the alternative title came up, it was really interesting because it was saying back to them sort of, this is what you're saying in the title that you've given me. And then they were able to sort of say, oh, actually, that doesn't reflect the content of my chapter. Maybe my title was flawed in the first place, mm. or it might have given them a more concise title or you know, more creative options. So they generated several each and then they made new titles uh, or else they stuck with their own one. And we did other things where they could copy in, um, you know, concluding comments or something or, uh, you know, their um, deductions, I suppose. And they were asking ChatGPT if their arguments were clear. And the same thing, you know, it came back and said, yes, I find your arguments to be clear. This is what you said. And it would change, you know, it stayed in its own words. And that was useful as well. So there's loads of nice learning experiences going on there. But I do think the important thing for me in the classroom is that the problem solving, the critiquing, the evaluating mm. of the AI generated results comes from the students. So you know. I, what I find really interesting about that, uh, I can really, I can imagine how that would work because it's almost like a sounding board, essentially, where I, where I would be concerned about it being employed. So, so you're talking about final year students, they're operating at a different level, say, to first year students or second level students. And, and that's not a, a value judgment, by the way, that's just they're, they're dealing with things at, at, a, at a higher uh, level. Um so for, for, for the likes of information regurgitation, do you know what I mean? Like identify, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. If somebody has a background knowledge in a topic and can then use ChatGPT to reinforce what they already know or tie in other bits and bobs, but they already have a kind of an internal uh, an internalized set of, of values and, 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 and data 
that they can match against it so that they know if this is, yeah, this is roughly on the right track or this is not on the right track. Where I'd be concerned is maybe if somebody doesn't already have that. So if they're in the early stages um, and it just spits stuff out and you just accept it as being... Yeah, that's right. You're 100% right mm-hmm. on that. And I have found that, you know, this is not a tool where uh, students should be using it just to produce a load of information because I've tried it and it's flawed. And I'm telling you that uh, as a fact, you know, I just did it as an experiment and it didn't sit well with me at all. I, I generated uh, a full lecture presentation and I delivered it. And uh, maybe it's just me, but I actually felt a little bit sick doing it because I was passing something off as my own and it was wasn't my own. That's just because you're such an honest person. No, but, but it didn't make me feel good, Rob. Yeah, and then yeah. the other point about it was that these patterns started emerging where there was yeah. stock phrases coming up over and over again. There was also a whole heap of nothing where it was saying the exact same thing phrased in loads of different ways. So there was a lot of repetition and it was just this formulaic type of approach. And the other thing that you said there is like, you know, if you don't have that expertise in the first place, which many of the students don't, they're not going to realise that there's stuff missing, that there's something. And it's that, and you know, I know Pete will probably talk more about this, but with the prompts as well, you know, what you're asking ChatGPT to do is exactly what you're going to get. So if you don't have that right prompt, as in a full contextualization and drawing on different social and cultural backgrounds and this and that, if you're not bringing that into your prompt, you're getting exactly what it says on the tin. And that's not good enough for academic writing, academic research and even assessment answers, do you know? So Pete, do you want to come in on that? Because you you're you have looked into this. Pr- prompt engineering, is that the phrase now? Yeah, it's, prompt engineering yeah. seems to be the phrase. And Hazel uh, enlightened me the other day that there's a, a job going in the, the US that pays 300,000 euro a year. Uh, shouldn't send on the link yet. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's an interesting new skill. It's like anything. You put crap in, you get crap out. It's not Google. You're not asking it a question and getting a response from it, though you will get a response and it will synthesize the, the results on Google and give you uh, somewhat of a decent response. But there's a whole area of prompt engineering to get the most out of it and to increase your productivity or increase the accuracy or increase the, um, the quality of the response that you can put in. And even simple things like asking you to assume a role. You are a Python programmer give me the configuration settings for X, Y, or Z, and it will do it. Um, but again, one has to have the knowledge to start putting all these, thing t- these things together. Yes. Now, I got into a bit of a ding-dong with somebody at your meeting the other day, which I shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah, I do. about that because I had tried that. I, have, yeah. I, I did a project last week in Python, and uh, over the weekend, the project was over, I, the performance thing was finished, and I just said, I wonder what ChatGPT would do. So it was Bing I've been using. Yeah. I have tried ChatGPT, but I've been trying with Bing because I'm on that now. Uh, which is still chappy, it's version 3.5 of GPT I think it's based on but it does have more up to date information although it's still got the SETU <laughs> what is your technology thing wrong and Bertie Rogers or whatever the name of the person is uh, <laughs> who's hosting this podcast um, and it did produce some nice code for me right uh, but it did it was using a, it put some Python code I fired it in kind of this is what I wanted to do and it, you know it wasn't a million miles away from what I had written myself mm. But it used a different library for some sound stuff. And that library was not installed in my computer. 
And I asked it, how do I install this? And it gave me a command that I would have to put into a terminal thing, right? Which I know how to do. Yeah. It's not that complicated, but I know how to do that. Yeah. The one that it gave me would not work on my computer. It's, it's, it was pip install, but I have, I'm using Python 3, so it would be pip 3 install. Yeah. I know that so I can fix it. And it's, it's a very easy fix to me. But if you don't know that, you're just sitting there with your hands up going, this isn't working for me. And that's where I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand where that line is between the information regurgitation and, and the synthesis and, and the, the kind of the understanding of it all. I haven't got, I haven't made up my mind yet because yeah. I don't know. You know, and I don't think I'll know for quite some time. I uh, intended to include a video at, at the end of my presentation the other day, but unfortunately, uh, PowerPoint decided that it wasn't going to play it. Uh, it was the, the uh, Brian O'Driscoll was dared by his fellow players many years ago to give a random quote at the end of a press conference to a question that it had no place in being the answer to. And he said that uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. And it, it kind of, when I, when I was thinking about that, that sense of what is the, the intrinsic knowledge that we have and how we apply it versus the information that the uh, generative tools give us and how it chooses to apply. So I think it, it's that the human brain is still leaps and bounds ahead in terms of learning and processing information and knowing how to apply it. So knowledge is knowing that uh, Pip can install something. Wisdom is knowing that you need Pip three because that's the way your system is configured. Uh, it, it's the context is missing. I'm sure if you had it told that I'm using Python three, you'd say Pip. 3. Oh, probably would. So yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. we know the context. It's stuff that we take for granted. But again, mm. some of that can be uh, engineered in with prompt engineering. And and the other example that springs to mind, just kind of speaking to both your points, is that uh, as a colleague was telling me that. They, they had an argument with a student uh, who handed up uh, a fantastic assignment that didn't work. It was, uh, I think it was Python as well, actually. And the student was standing over it saying, I, look, the, the code works perfectly. I know the, uh, the code is right. The code is definitely right. But it doesn't work. Yeah, but it, it's definitely the code is right. Okay, explain how you got to this stage. Mm. Uh, and the lecture basically, look, I, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to give out to you if you tell me you've used a generative writing tool. And they said, yeah, yeah, I did. Well, you've got to sell the generative writing tool the name of your database and where it lives and the password for your database. Yes. So it had done everything, but because they omitted information in the prompt, it didn't give the information out in the, the exercise. So again, some of the the problems with ChatGPT mm. and, and people's negative experience with it is actually more to do with the prompt that they've entered and mm. treating as, uh, it as Google rather than providing all necessary information and generating the, the most accurate results. Going back to what we were talking about a moment ago then, if you're, it, you have to bring something to the table because if you're just looking for the right answer, you're probably asking the wrong question. If you, if you know what I mean, yeah. like we often, you know, we often say in, in, in class and stuff like that, the answer isn't, the best questions lead to no answers, but more questions. Do you know this this kind of thing? It's the question is what drives us. Actually, it's interesting that you talked about data or knowledge and wisdom. So there's a thing I teach with the first year computer science course is a, there's a model called the DIKY or DIKW model, which is data, information, knowledge and wisdom. And, you know, data is three. Information is three are the number the number of people in this room right now. It becomes three is just it's just a random 
context fact, is. but it has no context. Information is is data with context, but knowledge then is saying what we're talking about a podcast and wisdom is well knowing that Hazel is the smartest person in the room, you know. So the <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not. Me now, no, but, but you know what I mean. But yeah. so our wisdom is knowing that you know a tomato is not to be put in a fruit salad. Although I think that would be lovely as well. Yes. 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 Uh, the so computers can humans are not very good at large volumes of data. We do make mistakes. We get tired. We can't process it. Even and even information, we can only go so far. We're quite good at knowledge, but computers are very good at data. They can do lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of data. And they can even provide meta information to the data or metadata to the data to give themselves information. But up to now, they haven't been very good at knowledge and they're no good at wisdom. And I would say now we're getting to the knowledge stage with the computing tools through GPT and other systems like that. I don't know, you're nodding. Which means you agree with me, or maybe yeah, you I, I think with me. it's really important for our students to understand that mm. because, like rivers finding the uh, simplest path to the ocean, yeah, uh, students will try find shortcuts through hard work, and I think ChatGPT and generative writing tools provide a shortcut in in a way, and they think they might be fooling the lecturers, but at the end of the day, they what they really want to get out of Education is education yeah. and wisdom. And we need to reinforce the fact that this is a tool. It will help you find information. It'll help you crunch data. It might give you some knowledge, but we need to teach them the importance of the context, hmm. uh, the importance of uh, not just prompt engineering, but having all of the information available and the wisdom to be able to write the right prompt if that's the, the field of work they're going into or being able to deal with a customer because I don't think ChatGPT is going to help you deal with a real person um, mm. and have a real conversation with them. It might help you write an email to them, but it's not going to have those interpersonal skills. Yeah. I keep coming back to the quote and the guy, um, Mushtaq Bilal is his name. He's a bit of a Twitter guru on, you know, academic research. And he's really um, into the whole AI uh, side of it. And he's some fantastic um, threads up there with brilliant training and everything available uh, with him. But um, he keeps saying outsource labor, not your thinking. Mm. And that's it. You know, it is about that efficiency Pete was talking about. You know, it helps us with, you know, time management. But at the same time, we still have to have the thinking, the creativity. And that's the other thing is um, when we're introducing AI into the classroom, we still need to instill that sense of confidence in the students that, well, actually, what I did in the first place is better than this. Or, you know, for them to not automatically go to the default that what was produced by AI is better than what I did, because it's not. Yeah. may not necessarily be at all. It's a tool to help you produce something that's really good or even really creative with the AI tools for imagery and things like that. But at the same time, uh, you know, losing the confidence in your own ability is uh, would be a terrible thing, you mm. know, and as educators, I really think that we need to focus on that with our students, you know. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because you know yourself often with with students the, the big thing is to give them the confidence to to trust themselves. 
so yeah, I don't know how we're going to square that circle. But it's about that whole collaborative thing. I mean, if you're doing it together and you're in the classroom and we're looking at results and we're discussing them, we're saying, well, really, do you know... I think what you had originally or your original title was actually fantastic. And, you know, for their peers to be able to say to them this or for me as, you know, the educator in the room to say, listen, I I think we can do it in the classroom. But yes, I get what you're saying that, you know, confidence is always one of those things that's difficult, you know, with students. And just as we're speaking about confidence, I've also been thinking a lot about our colleagues and our peers who are afraid of this as well. And even if there was a message, I suppose, that we could bring across, I think... It's about just trying it out, a bit mm. of trial and error and playing around with it yourself. And, you know, because like I could give advice that's really suited to what I do on my discipline and the same thing with Pete and his discipline, but it may bear no relevance to what somebody else is doing somewhere else. Yeah. So it's that thing about just getting in, giving it a go, work with the students and let them know that you're learning together. Because I think that humble approach is appreciated by students. Mm-hmm. You know, the positioning yourself as I, I know everything and you don't, that's a, that's not a good thing in, in my book. So to do it together, maybe. So maybe. I, I've never been in any of your classes. I've obviously seen you speak before and have been at many of your talks. And it strikes me that you are not the kind, you are not a chalk and talk kind of an educator. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it as well. But I know it's the wrong thing, Rob. And the word lecturer, I actually push back against all the time because lecturing is not the right thing to do. If you're lecturing people, you are wrong. Would I be right in saying that your classrooms are very collaborative, very dialectic, uh, that, that there is, you're just there as a facilitator rather than this deliverer of knowledge. And, you know, was it, I always think of Mr. Gragrind, what I want are facts, facts, and you know, trying know. to spoon them into the children's heads. Yeah. So that works in that context, that you're open to this. Yeah. But if you're in a different style of education, is that where maybe your difficulty I don't know. Yeah, and that's where other people need to adapt and say to me, well, Hazel, your approach is fantastic for what you're doing. Does not work for me. This is what's going to work for me. Even the model of delivery for our higher diploma in computer science is that we essentially broadcast a class to the students because there's a lot of information to get to. It's an online program. It's not a fully online program. uh, And we actually broadcast. It's one way uh, to ensure, for a lot of different reasons, there's only maybe... uh, a quarter of the class will take the class live. Another 15% will uh, join late and be able to play back at one and a half speed to catch up to the live point. It's like a DVR functionality for, for your classes. And then 95% will use the recording and watch back either immediately after the class or at a time that suits them. Yeah. So we're trying to be as flexible as possible for the learner. But that takes away from that whole conversational and knowledge development kind of uh, role. So... Yes. Essentially, we're broadcasting information and we have our hangback sessions afterwards and we have lab sessions where it is more discursive. So that model doesn't lend itself, and this is what I've realised over the last few months, it doesn't lend itself very well to integrating the, the um, generative tools into mm. how we do our classes. And while we can kind of suggest they use them for um, assignments or content generation or X, Y and Z, we don't have the opportunity very often to have those conversations because the classes are very much self-paced. Yes. We put the content out and the students absorb it. And it's been a very successful model. Mm. And it's been very good for the students. Uh, high completion rates, um, high 
job uh, entries at, at the end of the course. There's also a very high satisfaction rate amongst the students on that programme as well. When they get past <laughs> the stress <laughs> of doing the course, yeah. Yeah, no, I, know, I, just, I, know, I know people who've yeah. done the course yeah. so, and, and they have so all quite enjoyed it. It is making me rethink the, the model in terms of broadcast. I think it's very successful for what it does, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into the classroom next semester and trying out these tools in person with students yeah. and uh, having those conversations. And I love having these conversations with other um, like, uh, facilitators uh, about... <laughs> you almost said lecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About how, how they teach and how their students learn uh, because it's something... I, I take away a piece of those conversations for how I can bring that into my classroom. So yeah. that, that's part of it for me. So I have a first year program. It's Computer Science 101 and 102. But it's, it's a first year program. It's basically an introduction to kind of computer systems and all that kind of stuff. So I wonder... You see, I can't see how I could use it in that context with the first year class. Because the first year class is very much, right, we need to get you all to a certain level so that we can do more interesting things later on. And I don't see how I could use that yet. Because to be honest with you, my role in that class is more, okay, we have lectures that are information delivery, but it's the labs are really, let's play around with some stuff. And my role really is to go around and talk to them and try and get them to try things and, and to discover that confidence. So I don't know how I could use it in that context. But you know something, Rob, mm. like just because something is there doesn't mean you have to use it. And, yeah. I, and I think that as well about, you remember, you know, when we went, uh, you know, into the online stuff and there was all these new approaches and everything. And some people were throwing the whole kitchen sink in there. Like, yeah, I know. do you know? <laughs> no, but they were. Yes. And like that was detrimental to the learning process. I always think less is more. And you know what? With that motto, Rob, maybe you shouldn't be using it. No, no, sorry. What no. I was going to say is, I, sorry, I, I, I no, 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 you're dead right. But a fourth year module, that is much more of a, of a, a, a partnership, I would say. I can definitely see things at play there. Uh, but also when you're coding, they already have a base of, 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 they have a few years programming knowledge so that we can explore these tools and maybe it comes up with a really nice way to implement something. I think uh, it's going to be a challenge for us in the next few years where yeah. making sure students still have that base when they get to third or fourth year, that they haven't tried to shortcut yes. it. And then they're left without the, the fundamentals or foundational elements of uh, technology. I think it, it's interesting maybe in first year to start a conversation with them, make them aware of it. And I suppose to introduce, and I think this is going to be really important for higher education, to introduce a sort of a social contract about how yeah. the generative tools are used for teaching and learning and what's expected of them. And I think your, your principle of saying, you know, tell me how in this assignment or this assessment, tell me how you've used um, mm. ChatGPT and then what you've done yourself. So yeah. that this is an expectation that you've probably used it. Just tell me how you've used it. I don't have a problem with you using it but I need to be able to distinguish between your work and what ChatGPT has done or how you've used that as a foundational element you've built on it. And then there's, there's an element of flipping the assessment as well. And instead of asking students to write on a topic that can easily be generated, uh, ask them to generate content on that, on that topic and critique it. The I think that's really interesting. In February, I was on a, a session, an online session about ChatGPT in education. I know you were on it, Pete. I don't think you were, you were on it. It was run by... Um, TU Dublin and it, it was very, I, I found it useful but at the end of it there was a kind of a Q&A session and there was one person came on who didn't have the camera on was identified on the system as Dave and nothing else so I don't know where this guy was coming from but he basically went on a rant about the death of education and he, over the last 30 years education has been eroded and blah 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 blah, blah. and 
read between the lines, I think he thinks that the internet has destroyed minds. And maybe he's right. But I remember being so excited. I can remember those kind of early mid-90s times when the internet first came out. And I, when I was a postgrad student, uh, I remember in 2002, I was doing my master's. And uh, this would have been in the early days of e-journals. So where journals would have been available online, but not everything was available online. And I remember having to do an interlibrary loan uh, with Trinity to get a journal. So it took, it took, it took weeks, weeks. It took yes, weeks to yes, get this journal sent down to the library in, yeah. in Waterford. And I read the paper and I went, oh, this isn't any use to me at all. This is no good. This isn't what I thought it was going to be at all. Oh. And it took weeks to get that. Whereas not long later, I would have been able to access that as a PDF read it and go, okay, this suits me or this doesn't suit me. Uh, and I never did an interlibrary loan again since that. I did try to do, sorry, I tried to do one book and it just kept not coming, not coming, Traumatic not coming. experience. Yeah. Was, was the irony not lost on Dave that here he was on an internet platform after having a session <laughs> on AI tools uh, and probably, you know, accessing endless amounts of journals, publications, etc. Mm. that... There's, there's, there's some benefits maybe in the past 30 years to these advances and maybe ChatGPT can be a next evolution in those if it's used well. It is. Like, I can understand where he's coming from, though. I can understand that there is this feeling that everything is changing, that the sands are shifting around me and it was better in the olden days. And, yeah. and, maybe, and maybe to some extent there is. Like, we're going to be able to say to our children, I remember when you had to know something in your head. W you know, um, remember a phone number. Yeah, yeah or even phone numbers. This <laughs> yeah. is a perfect example. Very you know, true. But the other part of me is going, well, yeah, there is other information I should know. And if I can store a finite amount of information in my head, maybe not storing phone numbers and, and things like that is, is useful. I don't know. Yeah. And, and again, it comes down to I want to know how to make a phone call. I don't necessarily need to know the phone number, but I need to know where to look it up. Yeah. And it's kind of coming back to that question about open book exams uh, and, and the, you know, that, that old method of going into an exam hall with no books, no information and be able to uh, regurgitate knowledge for two hours or not because they don't they suit some people who might be incredible um, in an academic environment or incredible in uh, building a technology, but they might not be able to just regurgitate that on a piece of paper in a two-hour exam. So I think it's about... Uh, really finding a way that we can use the technology that suits our students, that suits us, and that really increases the value of the students when they go to the employment market. Mm. And I also think training, Pete, for educators is yeah. going to be vital. Yeah. You know, yeah. because when you said open book exam, I get a little cringe every time I hear it, just because of how badly open book exams have been used yeah. over the years yeah. where, you know, people just took their exam hall exams and put them online and then called them an open book exam. That's yeah. just wrong. And it's the same thing now with the AI tools. If you're incorporating them in, you actually need training and you need to learn how to do this stuff, trial and error, but also attending professional development courses, things like that. So I, I think coming from an educator perspective as educators, you know, is it's going to be vital in this. Mm, it is. And it, it, I mean, this conversation is to be continued because, as I said, we're talking about this at the end of March 2023. Uh, last week, Microsoft demoed their co-pilot system that's going to be built into the office suite of tools. So co-pilot is already there in um, GitHub, which Microsoft own, uh, which is a code repository. Um, so you can you can use it there. But there, I, 
I've seen it. I've seen the demo. I haven't tried it. I don't think it's available to try yet. But I'll be honest with you, I spe- like so. I love being in the classroom. I like talking to students. I like working with students. I like working on projects. But I spend a huge amount of my day working on, sp- I call it spreadsheet work, but it's to be honest with you, it's bullshit work. Foostering around with spreadsheets, doing stuff. If an AI can do that for me or help me or reduce my workload and that, I don't really have a problem with that. If it's that kind of bullshit and then yeah. I can spend my time doing something that is much more productive and, and I think much more valuable. Yeah, and I would say the same for yourself. So let's say uh, now this is just an example here, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, or, or, or correct me if I'm wrong. But let's say, for example, you were doing something in music, and something was in E flat, and you needed I need that transposed up to F, right? And in the past, you would go into a program, I don't know, Finale or, or one, one of the pro, and then you'd go around and you'd move all the notes, and it you know it could take you X amount of time, but it's a kind of a mechanical exercise. It's a bit, kind of stupid and it's, it's bullshit work really if you could say hey just do that yeah wouldn't that be great yeah i agree and it free frees up your time to be more creative and to be more productive i absolutely agree mm-hmm. you know and i did like when i was doing the talk i gave the example where you know i banged out an abstract like yes. you know for a conference and like that would have taken me ages to consider every word now yeah i did have to go back and rewrite it and restructure it and do all that sort of stuff myself but the fact that i had the bones of that there and then you know even getting the skeleton for the presentation you know put put in the title and say can you you know, suggest a presentation um, structure for this and, you know, giving you ideas as to things like it really speeds up the process. And even that history lecture I was telling you about that, I'm going to totally rewrite because, uh, you know, just for myself, I can't live with it. Um, But like that took me two and a half hours to do something that would take me a couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So the idea that you've mentioned before, Pete, in conversations about the blank page, yeah. So yeah. this is just a way of getting off the blank page. Yeah, I always struggle to get off a blank page and I love having conversations, bumping into colleagues and having kind of the, the prompted conversations to ideate and to come off that blank page and I can go back down to my desk and kind of go bang, bang, bang. I can do a presentation in an hour. If I don't have that conversation, it could take me a week to try and come up with those ideas myself. And I think it, it, it's great as a, a writing prompt for ourselves to get our, our brains churning because we can either agree with the, the points raised, ask it to give additional points or explain further or strongly disagree with some of the things it comes up with and say, no, that's not my opinion of it. That's not how I think it should work. And it gives you, again, a focus on where you can go with it. So it's it's an engine to bounce stuff off of, yeah. uh, but it, it's not the final product. And I think it's really important to treat anything that comes out of uh, ChatGPT, Bing or any other now um, to treat that as a prompt or treat that as a starting point. If you yeah. treat that as a finished product, not a chance. Uh, GPC 3.5, mm. 15% of the content is considered an hallucination. Yes. Which uh, is, is a fantastic term for it and is widespread now, uh, some of the hallucinations that are out there. But I, I hear where you're coming from and I'm not suggesting that we should do away with humanity. But these are the worst versions of these tools that we're seeing now. So when we say yeah, ChatGPT, yeah. that's a kind of a catch-all for all of these AI yeah, tools, right? Yeah. We're like even the difference between ChatGPT 
from November of 2022 to where we are now in March and v- version 4 I haven't played with version 4 Hazel oh, you have been playing with it I have and I'm I'm not as impressed as I thought I would be because yeah. you know people were sort of posting that oh this is it this is like you know the and yeah I can deal with the hell of a lot more data and yes there are you know really sort of good answers going on there but the all of those issues I outlined earlier yeah. about you know the repetition the stock phrases the formulaic approach and the gaps the repetition and stuff that's all they're like. Yeah. Still. I heard a great phrase about these terms on another podcast or about these tools. They're stochastic parrots. Okay. And I thought that yeah. was great Fantastic. because really what they will yeah. is just do is, is synthesize information from elsewhere and and they, they can, you know, collapse it into a, a, a paragraph, which can be really useful. And I do see the value in that. But it has to get it from elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, it, it is... It's not thinking for itself. Not yet, anyway. I don't think so. Um, or if it is, it's there's, there's thinking in an alien. There's about, uh, is it sentient and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's... And if it... I don't want to get into that now because that's a particular... <laughs> philosophical well, conversation. Well, well, it is. It. I mean, there's a concept of the philosophical zombie. I remember yeah. reading about that. Are they zombies? I don't know. But that's a conversation for another day. But for right now in the classroom, I mean, the tools are here. They exist you know, you can be sure the students are going to use them. And I like Hazel's approach of being kind of open and upfront and being having that dialogue. I think that's probably a very healthy way. When we try to restrict things, it never works in any aspect, really, to be honest with you. So, yeah. When I was in college, uh, you mentioned about the e-journals. Uh, Wikipedia oh, yeah. was, was the new thing when, when I started, uh, when I was in college. And it was the ruination of education and, you know... Uh, Academics were very worried about what was being posted up because you couldn't reference it from Wikipedia because it wasn't seen as, as quality. And yeah, they were right. The information up there, uh, unless it's referenced in itself and you go back to the reference uh, or at the, the, the original version of it. But that was the the worry back then. I think there's the same worries now, but I, I, I still think it, it's a starting point. Mm. It can make us more efficient, but there still needs to be a human in the loop on it. You can't just take what it says as gospel. And then there's another philosophical or fundamental question about um, some of those hallucinations where it makes up a quote from, uh, I've seen it from Garrison or Rovi about online communities. And are these quotations now going to get inserted into the kind of uh, circular um, literature mm. and now people are going to be quoting hallucinations going forward. So, you know, it, it, it's all sorts of fun stuff and fun conversations that opens up. Hazel, you mentioned... The, the the person on Twitter, I, I can't remember their Mustache name. Mustache Bilal. Mustache Bilal. Okay, yeah. And would you recommend, is there, like basically, right, I want to wrap this up. Where would you recommend somebody go to learn more about this? I have been using Twitter a lot because there's a huge... It's still working big, for now. No, there's a, but there's a huge dialogue and there's actually yeah. a community up there. And every day, like you'll find people, they're posting their presentations up there. They're posting e-books, all documents they're after developing and things like that. And it's really good for learning. But also, I think when people know you're interested in something they send you stuff. So I get lots of emails where random people are saying, you know, I found this article. I think you'd really like it. And I'm collecting them all together. And uh, I need to do that's one of my jobs for this weekend is to actually gather them, you know, mm. together. But uh, I think get involved in the conversation. Mine is 
predominantly through Twitter and through uh, colleagues uh, um, at the moment. You're, uh, am I right, Wrenchy Girl on Twitter, is that right? I am, that's my jiu-jitsu reference, you see, okay. because that's my jiu-jitsu title and people are like, you know, what is this about? <laughs> yes, but yeah, I'm a Wrenchy Girl on uh, Twitter and yeah, there's a lot of conversation going on there. And Pete, where would you recommend people? Yeah, I, I've stayed away from Twitter purposely for the last few years because I, I started doom scrolling on Twitter in the early days and lost days, weeks, years of my <laughs> life. So I've, I've actually made a conscious decision to step away from it. But uh, stupidly and ironically, I'm still on Facebook. Um, and there's ChatGPT Insights is a Facebook page. ChatGPT Experts is another Facebook page that publish really good content. That is the main specific. So... Uh, Pro tips for content marketers, pro tips for data engineers, pro tips for... And it's really about that prompt engineering. Yeah. There's also uh, cheat sheets there in terms of prompt engineering. So I think the, the prompt engineering is going to be the, the, the prominent skill coming out of this for the next few years. Um, so, and what's interesting is you can use the generative writing tools to write prompts for other generative tools. So, uh, EPT 4 for... Um, mid-journey, et cetera. So it's interesting to see how meta it's all getting. Yeah, the snake that eats itself. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's interesting to see those groups on Facebook. So whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, there's some great resources and groups on that. So once you start getting interested in these things, the the machine, the algorithms will start feeding yeah. you more content like it. Exactly. And you'll end up seeing these groups more. You'll end up seeing that content more. Well, Pete and Hazel, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for sharing your your, your wisdom. Uh, on the topic uh, he said if you want to find out more about uh, the folks uh, look for them online I'll put some notes uh, in the description for the podcast I've been Bertie Kelly uh, a, a, a chat chief a, a bing hallucination <laughs> uh, I've been Rob O'Connor if you want to find out more about the podcast at machine underscore podcast on Twitter bit of stuff up elsewhere but uh, you can do an I'll search for us and um, yeah and if you do find Bertie Kelly uh, tell him um, I want my job back <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Rob. Thanks, Rob.